بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه. The Jum'ah Khutbah is an essential reminder that calls the believers every Friday to increase in taqwa, God consciousness. This series shares Jum'ah Khutbahs that take place at the Al-Maqasid Seminary. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammadin miftahiba bi rahmatillah. أما بعد فيا عباد الله إني أوصيكم ونفسي بتقوى الله الحمد لله It is arguably the greatest gift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us and I say gift because it comes without being uh, without anything that we deserve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the gift of la ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls in the Quran kalimatu taqwa the word of, of, of taqwa, and taqwa we've been discussing in the past few uh, khutab, the past few sermons about taqwa. And as an extension of taqwa, we want to discuss kalimatu taqwa, the word of taqwa, which is la ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. And it is a blessing to have a creed that is as clear as the sun in the midday, as the Arabs say in their expressions. It is a system of belief that is wadih, that is absolutely clear. And the entirety of our creed, the entirety of the creed that the Prophet taught us is summed up in this statement. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. And the scholars, they mention that the commentary of la ilaha illallah is found in the very key and most important verses of the Quran, like ayatul kursi uh, and the like. And then the commentary of those is found in the rest of the Qur'an. And the commentary of the Qur'an as a whole is found in the life of the Prophet Wasallam, in his statements, in his actions, and in his states of being. And it is this statement which the Prophet Wasallam told us is the key to paradise. That without it, there is no paradise. As he said, Wasallam, whoever says, La ilaha illallah, Sincerely believing it deeply in their hearts enters paradise. And in one narration, and the fire will not touch them. So this is the statement of what is called Tawheed. And Tawheed in, uh, in the Islamic concept is absolute monotheism, absolute unity, absolute divine oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the opposite of which is shirk, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us is the only thing that Allah does not forgive, meaning if a person dies on shirk or on kufr. So shirk has many different forms. And the Prophet ﷺ, when he entered Mecca during the conquest, he went into the Kaaba and he broke down the idols. Right? The idols of, of polytheism, of shirk, were thrown down on their heads. And this is symbolic of this rejection of all other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So, but we want to understand that even though there are no outward idols right, in the Islamic community or in the masajid or in the hearts of the believers, there are sometimes subtle inward idols that we must break, that we must cast down on their heads. And this is because Tawheed is absolutely pure, free of any blemishes of other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when we say, La ilaha illallah, the scholars, they discuss this in, my, in great detail, that we are essentially affirming that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one in first his divinity. That there is no other God except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That there are, other, there are things that people worship, but they have no rights. They are not truly what is known as ilah, as a God. And there is no one worthy of worship with true rights except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And alhamdulillah, this all the Muslims are free from. Right? And the Prophet said, I do not fear that, that you will associate partners with Allah after me. Right? And, right, so the Muslim does not worship other than Allah. The Muslim does not ascribe divinity to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second thing that we are declaring that Allah is one in is his attributes and his names. So every single name that we call Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by, those that we know of, that he told us in the Qur'an, or that we've learned from the Prophet or that which we do not know of, that which he has kept the knowledge of to himself. All of those names and all of those attributes belong to Allah 100%, and no one whatsoever has any share in them. So when we say that Allah is the creator, essentially we are affirming that there is no other creator except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That when we say that Allah is the giver and the provider, that, that we're saying that Allah is the only giver and the only provider, and no one other than Allah can give or provide. When we say that Allah gives life and death, death, right? only Allah gives life and death. When we say that Allah's name is al-nafi' and al-dar, the, the giver of benefits and the giver of harm, we are essentially saying, la nafi'a wa la dara illallah. That there is no giver of benefit and there is no giver of harm except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So essentially Allah is the causer of all causes and the effector of all effects. And everything else that assumes otherwise is just mere appearance. Is just mere appearance. And the scholars, they mention that any of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we can attribute to ourselves, right, the only similarity is the name. Right? Allah is the most merciful, but a human can be mercy, merciful. But the difference between Allah's mercy and the, the mercy of the creation right, is the difference of night and day. The only similarity is the same letters in, this, in the row. That's the only similarity. Right? One, because the names of Allah are absolutes. The names of Allah have no beginning. They are not acquired. They are not contingent. The names of, of creation are all contingent. They're all ephemeral. They're all temporary. They all have a beginning. The third thing that we are declaring when we say la illallah is that the actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are solely his and we have no part in them whatsoever. Right, so everything besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the doing of Allah, is the action of Allah and Allah is fa'alun lima yurid. He does what he, what he intends right, and we have nothing, no part of that whatsoever. So in reality, true tawheed is affirming all greatness for Allah 
and everything besides greatness belongs to us. Because and part of our creed is that we believe that Allah is absolutely different than his creation. So if we're saying that Allah is akbar, that Allah is the greatest, then we are essentially rejecting any facade of greatness from our own selves. And to believe, even to 1%, that we have an intrinsic greatness, that's kibr, that's arrogance. And that's what the definition of arrogance is. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed us in a world, in this world, the dunya, as a test. And what is the test? The test is, will we hold on to pure, absolutely unadulterated monotheism, tawheed, in a world where we're surrounded by the appearance of cause and effect? Will we ascribe effect to the means? Or will we understand that the means is just an appearance and actually Allah is the one doing everything behind the scenes? Right? This is the test for the believer. And cause and effect is essentially the pinnacle of that test. As Allah says in Surah Al-Baqarah in the first page, that they believe in the unseen. Because what is re the reality of all of these things is behind the scenes. It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the example of the person who sees a great art of calligraphy and they say, wow, what a great pen. Wow, what a great pen. That must have been a nice pen. And they're forgetting the one who uses the pen. And then a higher level than that is the one who says, wow, that must have been a really a a agile hand, a very delicate hand. No, the hand is attached to an arm, right? And that arm is attached to a person and that person has right, skills. That person has knowledge and wisdom and ability, right? And obviously we're not saying Allah is a person, it's a metaphor, and for Allah is the greatest metaphor. But cause and effect right, is very important for the believer to understand the reality of what cause and effect really means. Because Imam As-Sunusi, one of the great scholars uh, of theology, and this is not a theology discourse at all whatsoever, but we're trying to reach a point. He mentions that there are six types of shirk. And when sh we think about shirk, of associating partners with Allah, we, we think of people worshiping cows and uh, idols and other, other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? That is one of the types. But there are five other types. Right? The first and most obvious is to, to worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or to ascribe Allah's qualities to other than Allah. Right? That's, one of the, the, that's the first one. And the... The Arabian Peninsula was free from that for a very long time until some person brought some idols from another place into the Arabian Peninsula. And then they began to worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second is what's called shirk al-taqrib, which is the, the shirk of the Quraysh. Right? At the time of the Prophet Sallallahu coming, that they would worship other than Allah as means of getting to Allah. As intermediaries, we're only worshiping them so that they can draw us nearer to Allah. Right? That is a type of shirk. Because we don't need an intermediary to Allah, we worship Allah directly. Right? The third is shirk taqlid is to worship other than Allah, just merely blind following those who came before us. So many of the people of today who follow a religion are following that religion only because their parents did so. It's a following. It's a blind following. It wasn't something they embraced of their own volition, of their own choice, of their own study and research. The fourth, so these first three types are outside the fold of, the fold of Islam. And alhamdulillah, as Muslims, we are free from these types. 
And that is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as we have the gift of la ilaha illallah. But the, ne the next three are very subtle. And they are, they are not... They are not seen as outside the fold of Islam, but they are, in, they are haram. They are uh, forbidden for the believer to have as beliefs. They are erroneous beliefs. They are incorrect, and they will block us from attaining closeness with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as long as they remain in our hearts. So these are seen as blemishes to the purity of that tawheed. The third of them is shirk al-aghrad, is to do actions that are meant for us to seek the hereafter by means of and to do them for worldly, for worldly reasons. Right? To pray salats in order to get worldly benefits. To give charity in order to get worldly benefits. To, give, to fast in order to get worldly benefits. And one of the examples, and this is something we need to take heed of, that the scholars give, is to read Surah Waqi'ah just for the sole purpose of not getting, becoming poor. No other purpose. Only for the sole purpose to not become poor. Not because it's beloved to Allah. Not because the Prophet said to do it. Just because I don't want to be poor. How do I not become poor? Oh, someone said, read Surah Waqiyah. I'm going to read it every day. Why? And the proof that one is doing it only for that is that if, they, if it's not working, they stop. Right? If it doesn't work, they stop. That's a type of shirk. May Allah free, save, save us from that and free us up from these things. The fourth type, now we're getting even more subtle is what's called shirk uh, al-asbab. And this is the one we want to talk about. Right? Is associating partners with Allah because of the means. And that we're saying that the means is the actual doer of the thing. Right? So we see, and we're surrounded by cause and effect. So this is something we really have to work on, to dig deeper into our hearts and understand who Allah really is. That when we, we see, we're surrounded by, if I touch fire, my hand's going to burn. If I'm thirsty, I drink water, the thirst is gone. If I'm hungry, I eat food, the food is gone. If I work, I get money, I can, buy, I can pay my bills. Right? This is what we're surrounded with. But in reality, those means are just that. They are means. And it is not even that Allah puts the ability in the means to do. That's also incorrect. Right? So if someone has a headache, and get some Tylenol or Panadol, which depending on which country you're in, right? And they take it, right? Then the headache goes away, right? Allah did not put the ability to remove of, of cure in the, in the medicine, right? Not at all, right? That's an innovative belief, right? But reality is that right, the norm that Allah has set the world upon is that when you take the medicine, Allah creates something called cure for that sickness, right? This is a norm. It is not. Uh, a necessity. Allah doesn't have to do that. But this is the sunnah that Allah has made the world run on as a test for the believers. Right? And the two most difficult things that people fall into this type of association in are provision, wealth, and medicine. And medicine. Right? Because we are so trained that if I get money, then I can pay this bill. If I do this job, I will get money. Right? But the true test is the person who goes to work right, for 40, days, 40 hours a week, then they get their check, and then they go to the grocery store, and they buy some food, and they come home, and they cut it up, and they cook it. And then they, after sweating all of this effort that they put in, they sit in front of a nice meal, and now the, here's the test. Are they going to ascribe that meal to their own efforts? 
to their own doings, to their work, to their job, to their boss, or are they going to say, Alhamdulillahi ladhi at'amana, all praises due to Allah who fed us. Right? That's the test. And, and Allah says in the Quran, whenever he, constantly when he mentions about calling people to pray, to consistently perform their prayer, he says, don't worry about rizq. He couples it by saying, don't worry about provision, we will provide you. Why? Because a lot of times we leave that which Allah wants from us out of fear that we won't have enough risk. Right? But, so who is the razik? Right? If, I, if I don't work during Jumu'ah time, then I won't have enough money. Astaghfirullah. Is, is, is that work? Is that few extra hours the provider? Are we saying that there's a raziq other than Allah, a provider other than Allah? No, there is not. And it's inconceivable that we're taking, we are going to attain provision from the provider in his disobedience. And this is what the Prophet he said. He says that that which Allah has can never be attained through his disobedience. You may outwardly get, you're going to outwardly get the same wealth that was described, was prescribed for you, right? But Right? Either in the disobedience of Allah or in the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what happens is when we touch that fire, Allah creates something called burning. When we drink that water, Allah creates something called satiation of thirst. When we, drink that, when we take that medicine, Allah creates something called cure. This is the way Allah has arranged the affairs of the world. But Allah doesn't have to do that. Allah doesn't need the means. Right? Allah can give cure without the means. Allah can give... Cure, Allah can withhold cure despite the means. Allah can give wealth without the effort. Allah can withhold wealth despite the effort. Allah is the doer of absolutely everything. And we have many examples. And this is the Quran is calling us to these realities every single page. That Allah is the only one who's doing. Allah is the only one who's doing. And nothing else, no, nothing else in creation shares in that at all. So we see the, the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam where he's thrown into the fire. Right? But Allah did not create something called burning at that moment. In fact, Ibrahim salam said, the, the best 40 days in my entire life was in that fire. The best 40 days of my entire life is in that fire because Allah just, Allah withheld the creating burning for him and he commanded it to be cool and peaceful. Right? Ibrahim salam put the knife to his son's neck. Right? Ismail, and in some narrations, Ishaq. So there is a, there is a discussion amongst the scholars, right? but the majority opinion is Ismail, but he put the knife to his neck and it didn't cut. Allah didn't create something called cutting. And the people of the cave, they went to a cave when they were teenagers. 309 years later, they come out as teenagers. They're not 309 years older, Allah slapped the clock. That's not the norm, but Allah broke the norm for them to show, uh, to show them, to show us their status with him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what Allah is calling us, pure, absolute, pure tawheed. And in it, there is a serenity, a tranquility. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, is Allah not sufficient for his servants? Yet they threaten you with others besides him. We are surrounded and inundated by people saying, oh, be wor worried about this, worried about that, because that will harm you, and that will help you, and this will do this, and this will do this. And we need to remind ourselves of la ilaha illallah. And there's nothing wrong with taking the means, and we're not saying not to take the means, but we have to remember that there is no conviction in the means. We have to have conviction in Allah. We can't rely upon the means, we have to rely upon Allah. 
Right? And if, we, if our hearts incline toward the means in such a way that we are ascribing intrinsic benefit in that thing or intrinsic harm in that thing, then we have something to work on. Our, our tawheed is adulterated, is impure. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues in that verse. He says, whoever, le whoever Allah leaves to, to, to stray will be left with no guide, and whoever Allah guides, none can lead astray. Is Allah not almighty capable of punishment? If you ask them, O prophets, who created the heavens and the earth, they will certainly say Allah. They're not, they're not denying that Allah is the creator. Right? But what happens? So ask them, consider that whatever you invoke besides Allah, if Allah's will was to harm me, could they undo that harm? Right? If Allah decreed for me that I would get sick or that I would die at this time, can any, anyone in the entire world stop that? Can any doctor or any medicine or any shots or anything stop that? No, whatsoever. And, uh, or if he willed some mercy for me, could they withhold his mercy? Never. If Allah decreed for you to be, uh, to be blessed with something or to, be, uh, to have some mercy from him, no one can take that away from you. Say Allah is sufficient for me. In him alone do the faithful put their trust. So Allah has put the means in the world. And we, are, we were commanded by the Prophet to take the means. Right? And the scholars, they recommend taking the means. That's not the point. Right? The point is right, that we don't, our hearts are not attached to those means. So the scholars, they mention that to remove the remnants of this, this type of shirk, that we should do three things. The first is that we need to reflect on the stories of those people who Allah helped without any means whatsoever. That Allah helped them without any means, direct intervention, without the, without the means at all. So we see the story of, of Badr, the Battle of Badr. You have 300-something people. Barely any of them have any weapons. Some of them picked up some rocks. Some of them don't even have shoes. Some of them, right, majority of them don't even have an animal. So they're on foot versus horsemen with swords and armor, fully prepared, who are triple or quadruple their number. Right? What is the norm in that situation? You're not going to win. Right? Cause and effect says you lose. Right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala assisted them right? and made them victorious right? by mean, without any means whatsoever, right? by sending the angels, by unseen means. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does for those whose hearts are on him and not on the means. Right? But for those whose hearts attach to the means, Allah keeps them at the mercy of the means. The battle of Hunayn is the opposite. The battle of Hunayn, the believers were plenty, abundant. There were so many that the, they said to themselves, there's no way we're going to lose. There's no way we're going to lose. Right? And they started to lose. They outnumbered the enemy many folds, and then they started to lose. Right? And Allah taught them, Allah has already assisted you in many different battlefields. And even on the day of Hunayn, when you took pride in your great numbers, you took pride in your great numbers, intrinsically ascribing benefits to numbers, to your own strength, and not to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they proved of no advantage to you. Allah did not create success in those numbers. Right? The earth, despite its vastness, seemed to close in on you, and then you turned back in retreat until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had mercy on them and accepted their tawbah, 
for taking, to, for attaching their hearts to the means, and then Allah gave them assistance. Right, we need, the second thing is we need to reflect on the stories of, of those who Allah helped despite the means, opposite of the means, against the means, contrary to what the means would dictate. So imagine you're a young child, you're just, you were just born, you're a toddler in, in your mother's care, right? and the king of the town or the king of that area decrees that he's going to kill every single child. Right? If you were, if you were uh, appointed to help this child, the first thing you would do is get him out. Get them out of that city. Get them far away as far as possible. Right? That's the means. The means of protecting this child is to get them away from the enemy. Allah took Musa and put him right in the, in the palace of, of Fir'aun and protected him there. Allah protected Fir'aun in the uh, Allah protected Musa السلام, in the lap of Fir'aun. Right? Against the means. And Fir'aun couldn't do anything. Right? Ibrahim السلام, was protected from the fire in the fire. Right? And then the third thing is we need to reflect on the stories of those who Allah helped through religious means. And these are the means that the Qur'an calls us to. The Qur'an does not say get a job or take medicine. It, it calls us to religious means. And we're not saying that either of those is bad. Right? Allah is calling us to taqwa. Right? Whoever is in a difficulty, Allah says... Right? Whoever fears Allah, Allah will make a way for them out of every difficulty and provide them from where they can never believe. Taqwa. Allah is calling us to taqwa. Allah is calling us to patience. If you have patience and taqwa, their plots will never affect you ever, will never harm you. Right? Allah destroyed Fir'aun not because of the, the, the weapons that Bani Israel amassed or because of their plots and their strategy. Allah says, وَتَمَّتْ كَنِمَةُ رَبِّكَ حُسْنَ عَلَى بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ بِمَا صَبَرُوا Allah, the, Allah's good decree on Bani Israel was completed because of their patience, not because of their, their numbers or their fighting back. So I want to just mention one example. Abdullah bin Mas'ud, one of the great companions, uh, he fell sick, and this is the sickness that he later on died in. So as he is in his uh, final ages of life, Uthman ibn Affan anhu, comes to visit him. And Uthman says, what, what is your problem? What are you complaining of? And Abdullah bin Mas'ud, he said, my sins. Uthman said, then what do you want? He said, I desire my Lord's mercy. So Uthman said, should I not get a doctor for you? Uh, Abdullah bin Mas'ud said, the true doctor is the one who caused me to be sick. So Uthman said, should I not get leave to order for you a stipend from Baytul Mal, from, the, from the, the treasury, so that your family would have some money after you're gone? So Abdullah bin Mas'ud, he said, I have no need of it. So Uthman said, what about your daughters? The daughters that you're leaving behind. Abdullah bin Mas'ud had a lot of daughters. So Abdullah bin Mas'ud said, do you fear po poverty for my daughters? Do you fear poverty for my daughters and your, stip your stipend is going to solve the problem? Do you fear poverty for my dollars? I have commanded them to recite Surah Waqi'ah every night. Right? And I heard the Prophet said, whoever recites Surah Waqi'ah every night, no poverty will ever afflict them. Right? He took, he knew, he had absolute conviction in the promise of the Messenger of Allah. The promises of Allah are in the religious means. Right? Everything else is in uh, whether Allah wants or not. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us true tawheed and absolute certainty that everything is from Him. I, and we ask Allah to give us the strength to make the effort that takes 
to reach this. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salam ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man tabi'ahum bi ihsanin ila yawm al-deen wa alayna ma'ahum wa fihim bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahimeen ya arhamar rahimeen ya arhamar rahimeen ashadu an la ilaha Allah wa ashadu anna Sayyidina Muhammadin abduhu rasooluh ya ibadallah inni usikum wa nafsiya bi taqwa Allah amma ba'd the realities of la ilaha Allah are something that we must strive to attain and this is not something that we're expected to have all at once. When we say, la ilaha illallah, to accept Islam, or when we uh, become mature. No, these are something that need, we have to strive to attain. This is the path of, of certainty, the path in which the highest level of that sincerity, uh, of that certainty, right, is where the, the difference between the seen and the unseen is removed. There is no more veils, as Sayyidina Ali said, if the veil between the seen and the unseen realm were to be removed, I would not increase in any certainty. Right? Because they understood these realities as realities, therefore the, the Allah removed the veils from the hearts. And many of the companions even experienced the angels while they're reciting the Quran. The angels came down like a cloud filled with lamps in it. Right? And the Prophet said, had you continued to recite, you would have seen many great things. Right? The Prophet, many examples of, of the companions, because they had no, no connection in their heart to the means whatsoever, they, all their hearts were 100% connected to the cause of all causes. Allah, gave, Allah broke the norms for them in many, many amazing ways and helped them without the means, despite the means, Whenever they raised their hands, the skies would pour with rain during droughts. These are the people that Allah unlocked the unseen for them because they had no blemishes of their tawheed in their heart. Right? And the reason why we, we want to talk about this topic right, is because we are in a time that because of a worldwide difficulty in the tribulation, that those whose hearts are not, are not settled and stilled in in conviction with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that people become agitated and worried. And soon as that worried comes into the heart, the heart rushes to that which it has reliance on. The heart rushes to that which it finds as the most secure thing. And for though, and this is why tribulations are essentially blessings because we can trade, we can we can critique our, our state, we can critique the purity of our tawheed. Are we when we become worried, what do we do? We hasten to Allah or we buy a whole Costco-sized uh, uh, hand sanitizers and boxes of this, and we don't want anyone to come near us, and right, well, I'm, not, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. Right? And it's not about the means, again, right, but we need to watch out. We need to be very weary that these things and the, the states of people around the world do not cause us to adulter our, our tawheed. So we need to watch out for statements, and I'm sure we've all heard it. Maybe we even we have said it. With statements like, you're the one who got me sick. You're the one who got me sick. Right? It's because so-and-so people are not doing this and that, that people are still getting sick and dying. It's because I did this, and now I'm protected. I can't get sick. I won't die. Right? These are very dangerous statements. And it's not about the means. The scholars recommend that to take the means. Take the means that are moderate, 
that are reasonable, that there are likelihood that Allah would give the result through those means, that are not that, but they don't contain any harm or any possible harm on that person, then take the means. The Prophet said, Tadawo ya ibadallah, seek medicine, O, o slaves of Allah. Right? But the means that we really should be firm on are the means of religious means. The ibadats, the worships that Allah has decreed for us. Right? And one of the most important of these deeds is reliance. Tawakkul. And Imam Ghazali in the 25th chapter, 25th book of the Ihya, he brings the chapter of reliance and the chapter of tawheed in one chapter, together under the same title. Tawheed and tawakkul, together. Because if a person has absolutely certain, has absolute certainty in true tawheed, they would rely on no one else except for the only one who can do anything. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah says, and upon Allah rely if you are believers. It's a, the fruits of true faith. Rely upon the ever-living that never dies. Right? Whoever relies upon Allah, he is their sufficiency. Indeed, Allah loves those who rely on him. Right? This is what Allah is calling us to. Right? So the acts of worship that are a means of protection should be on the top of our list. Everything else is secondary. Right? The masks are secondary. The sanitizer is secondary. The taba'ud al-jismiyyah, the social distancing is secondary. Right? It is, it's fine, do it, but don't. Give that preference over salat, praying the five times salat, over reciting the morning and evening supplications that the Prophet gifted us out of his, his generosity that are a means of protection. I, just a funny story, but it's an absolute reality. We were in uh, Singapore, and one of our blessed teachers, Habib Hussein al-Haddar, came, and we had to translate for him. So he, we walk into a house where there was a class supposed to be, and he saw this young student sitting on a chair with a cast. His leg was in a cast, and he had crutches. And uh, Habib Hussein went to the, st the student and said, Oh my God, what happened? You obviously did not read the word Latif. You obviously did not read your morning du'as, your prophetic supplications that morning. And the kid said, I didn't. <laughs> Out of regret, he said, I didn't. And this is, this is the reality that our conviction needs to be where Allah put the promises, which is in the in these acts of worship, right? The supplications when leaving the house, the Prophet said that whoever says when they leave the house, uh, then he is protected for that whole day until they come back. Protected, promised from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So, the, so along with taking the, the worships, the means, use the other means. Use them in a moderate way without attaching the heart to them. Do it. It's recommended by the scholars. You'll get reward for doing that with that intention. But however, we need to strive to purify our tawheed. And the Prophet ﷺ, he commanded the companions saying, Jaddidu imanakum. Always renew your faith. And they said, how, Ya Rasulullah, how do we renew our faith? He said, Ekthiru min qawli la ilaha Allah. Constantly say, la ilaha Allah. But don't just say it on the tongue. Address your heart when you say it. Uh, you're, you're negating everything else besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even our own selves, right? Until absolute certainty comes and the veils are lifted and we hope from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that it is the last thing that we are able to say when we leave this world. La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. Inna Allah wa malaikatuhu yusalluna ala nabi. Ya ayyuhaladzina amanu sallu alihi wa sallimu taslima. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammad kama sallayta ala Sayyidina Ibrahim wa ala Ali Sayyidina Ibrahim indaka Hamidun Majeed.
اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على سيدنا إبراهيم وعلى آل سيدنا إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد ورضي الله تعالى عن ساداتنا الخلفاء الراشدين أبي بكر وعمر وعثمان وعلي وعلى جميع ساداتنا الصحابة الكرام وأهل بيت رسول الله المطهرين من الأرجاس وعنينا معهم وفيهم برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين يا أرحم الراحمين يا أرحم الراحمين اللهم اغفر لي والمؤمنين والمؤمنات والمسلمين والمسلمات الأحياء منهم والأموات Oh Allah, we ask you, testifying that you alone have the power, the might, the ability, discarding any false belief that anything other than you in creation has a share in any of that, that you purify our hearts with the light of certainty, that you protect us and give us ease in these times of tribulation, that you accept our repentance and forgive our sins, and that you make us of those who truly rely on you so that you love us. سبحانه وتعالى إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعيذكم لعلكم تذكرون واذكروا الله العظيم يذكركم واشكروه على نعمه يزدكم ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقيم الصلاة Thank you for listening to one of Al-Maqasid's online educational offerings. Our mission at Al-Maqasid is to cultivate holistic learning environments rooted in knowledge, devotion, and service by providing full-time, part-time, online, and community programs. For more information, please visit our website at almaqasid.org and connect with our other online content at almaqasid.org backslash connect.